Good morning. Very well, I appreciate this morning already. I feel like Brother Andy's shared, the cup's already full, and as he shared that, I had a thought kind of come to me. Is it God's will that our cups be full or that our cups be overflowing? And if the Spirit works to overfill our cups this morning, let's let that happen. Let's let stuff go over the brim in our life as we gather this morning. I hope Brother Lonnie shared a lot this morning. I want everyone to, to know and feel for sure that Structure of time is, is valuable, but it, it's not anywhere near as valuable as zeal for the Word of God. And I, I can feel like we've, we've felt that this morning. And it's touched us, each one. It should have. And let's be blessed by that. And thank you, brother, for your sharing this morning. As I studied, we looked ahead into Philippians again to continue the study of that. The title of my message changed on me. And just yesterday, not just this morning, but it, but it changed. I looked in the latter part of Philippians, and when I read through these chapters earlier on, a couple months back, I thought, this is going to be kind of the driest segment we've got. And as I read into it, I, I don't know that it's well, certainly not dry. I don't know if it's any deeper than any of the rest of God's Word, but it's not a dry time. And my original title was Standing Apart for Christ. And as I read through this again last night, there's a couple times the word state is brought up, and that word jumped off the pages at me as Paul is addressing the state of the church and the state of us as individuals. The title this morning is what, is, what is your state? And there's a reason why that jumped off the pages at me. You know, we, we can't see ourselves in the third person very well. We can look in a mirror and see our reflection and see our external features looking back at us, but we don't really see ourselves in life. We're made to where we have eyes in our head and they, they look out, but they, they don't look in very well, do they? And I've had some people tap me on the shoulder, a few people, not just one, say, hey, are you doing okay? And you know, I, I feel like, yeah, I am, but as those questions caused me to look in, I realized, no, I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed, kind of feeling over, over, overwhelmed, basically, and then kind of covering that up. So I covered up so it's okay, right? No, no, it's not. And when people are tapping you on the shoulder, listen and look inside and think. And that's why these words jumped off the pages at me. The state. What state are you in? You know, the state of the Christian is oftentimes, someone shared that we live under the circumstances, and that's a figure of speech, and I think I've shared that before. And the challenge to that is, well, what are you doing down there as a Christian? What are you doing under the circumstances? There's victory in Christ, and we can, we can rise above that. And I believe that, even though sometimes it's, it's hard to, to truly grasp it ourselves. I do believe that. And that victory is ours for the taking in Jesus Christ. What is your state? As we look in, we're going to look at two men of character for Christ, a myrtle tree and a star in today's lesson. Two men of character for Christ, a myrtle tree and a star. And I wasn't here a couple weeks ago, but they said there was an opening, I guess it must have been out of Luke, about greatness. Um, that the disciples were arguing among themselves as to who would be the greatest. I believe it was Brother Garnet that brought that, and really Jesus kind of countered that, that being as a servant is where greatness is found. Yet how often is it that we often strive for greatness among ourselves, and who's going to be the greatest? We find that in complete contradiction in the lives of two men as we look into this letter to the Philippians. The life of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And let's read Philippians 2. The, the lesson today is from 2, 19 to 30. 
and we'll stay there in the Word. I'll, I'll jump around a little bit. We won't, we'll just stay here in Philippians, though. We'll share from other parts of the Bible. 2.19, I'll read a couple verses, and we'll kind of talk through it as we go. Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And that's where the word state is stated twice. And that's where it jumped off the pages to my heart and to my soul as I read through this. Paul writes this letter and he's expecting to find the church in a good state. He knows them. He knows the power of Christ. And we know that Philippians is kind of a little book and Corinthians has two letters and they're big books. And the reason for that is there were some struggles at Corinth. And I'm sure there were struggles at Philippi here too. But yet, this seems like a very upbeat letter, a very upbeat congregation, a very victorious congregation, at least for the most part. And, and there's a the delight in there. He finds comfort in that. Paul wants nothing more than to know that his children walk in truth. And we use that oftentimes in talking about our families as we raise our children. But as was shared already this morning about Elijah and Elisha, and Brother Lonnie shared a lot about discipling and the need to disciple others, we have sons and daughters in the faith. And we are a son and a daughter in the faith. And oftentimes we need to fill both roles. Sometimes we need to sit at the feet and learn and be led. And sometimes it's our place to, to do the leading for other people. Timothy was a follower of Christ and through the example of Paul. And Paul calls for him to lead here in the church as well. He's sending him to this church at Philippi. And as I read through verse 20... No man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Where are you natural at? Are there some things that you're naturally good at? Working with wood, growing things. What about spiritually? Are there some things that you're naturally good at? And not to be proud or boastful, but I believe there's spiritual gifts that God gives each one of us that come more naturally, and then there's some things that are hard. I, I've, I've learned that in my spiritual walk. There's, there's things that are hard for me to do and I'm not comfortable with them at all and I see other people do it and it seems like man that just seems like it flows for them and it don't for me but there's some other things that might be a little easier for me he sees this quality in Timothy and even the things that we're naturally good at I felt like in the past couple of years I've, I've struggled with things that I normally felt were naturally good for me naturally easy for me to 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 carry out and we're caught in a spiritual warfare Anytime we do something for the cause of Christ, that happens. But here, he sees the gift of Timothy to naturally care for your state. And there's a difference in caring for you or me and in caring for our state, the state of our soul. It's beyond physical and spirit, it, it's the spiritual needs. That he cares for the spiritual needs of the body. And that's where the heart of Paul is and the heart of this lesson is. That our spiritual state be cared for and that we care for the spiritual state of those around us. He carries on in verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And here's a place where Timothy seems to stand apart. He cares for the things of Jesus Christ. It's, it's natural and easy to care for things of our own, isn't it? That comes natural to every one of us, doesn't it? To care about our own things. But to care for the cause, cause of Christ, it takes the imparting work of the Holy Spirit. Lonnie shared this morning he felt the Spirit come into his heart when he was asked to share. It takes the Holy Spirit. More of, more of that and less of us. 
You know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. And I appreciate also the opening with the thoughts of Elisha and Elijah and the need, the need of being discipled. As a son with his father, you know, Paul himself said, follow me as far as I follow Christ. Timothy was willing to learn, he was willing to follow, and he was willing to be coached into roles of service. The work of discipleship takes those three things. It takes coaching, it takes a willingness to learn, a willingness to follow as well as to lead. James 3.17 says, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The life of Paul and his involvement on Timothy, and I think of, it was shared before that the life of Paul early in his life, when he was a young man, his energy was given into planting churches. And then later in his life, as he was an older man, his energy was given into finding disciples like Timothy and Epaphroditus and, and individual. He, he became more centered on individuals and pouring work into them. And because he knew, I believe, that his time was not, not forever here. He needed others to carry on the work and was seeking to train and to help with that. And both were necessary. And the life of Paul and his involvement with, with all that he's done for the church I come across a statement from a commentator that the word, the name Paul means pause, to stop, to think. And if you think about it, where did Paul receive that name? His birth name was Saul of Tarsus, correct? What happened that his life and his name were both changed? He was struck by a bolt of light blinded on the road to Damascus, and he was made to pause, to stop, to think, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And it blew his mind. And it changed his life and the trajectory of his soul, and it changed his work. It did not change his zeal, did it? Maybe for a moment he did. He said, kind of dumbfounded. He had to be led into the city. A man came to him, was led by the Lord to teach and instruct him in the ways of truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And from that point forward, after he had paused, stopped, and thought, he was able to serve the way that he was intended to serve. For the, for the church body. That struck me, too, as I was thinking, the past couple of years of farming hasn't gone real well for me. It seemed like everything I touch breaks down. We had a neighbor that had a disc that was, he called it three-hour. He said, I'd, I'd run it three hours and something would break. I'd spend three hours working on it, and I'd run it three hours again and something else would break, and I'd spend three hours working on it, and that's just kind of how it was. Well, my grain drill's been that way. I've been trying to get wheat in, and I can't seem to get it accomplished. But my nature is to just just plop forward and get the job done and run the wheels off and fix it later, and that doesn't work. I think Grant gets a little frustrated with me at that sometimes. <laughs> I don't blame him. But sometimes we need to pause to think, and just as Apostle Paul was made to do, it's necessary in our life. And from that point forward, he was, he was able then to, to serve the body. Looking at Timothy then, his attributes and his weaknesses as a son in the faith of Paul, but above all, a son of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul himself said, follow me only as far as I follow Christ. He acknowledged he had faults, he had problems. Don't be discipled to be like Paul. Be a disciple to be a Christian, and I'll help you along the way. And that's key in discipleship. 
We don't, I don't want someone to be like me. I want the Lord to open up a work in their life for them to be who they are called to be. And if I'm called to help in that, praise God. And there's times I'm going to need help too. Even as an older man now, I guess I'm getting old. I don't have hair anymore. I'm getting older than I used to be. The attributes of Timothy. Timothy was respected in his hometown as a Christian. I didn't realize that until I looked into his life. At Lystra and Iconium, it'd be like someone in Garnett and Ottawa. And everybody thinks, boy, they've got it together. They're doing well on their Christian walk. He was respected. Not perfect, but respected. He was a personal representative to Paul on two occasions, here at Philippi and later at Corinth. At Corinth, it didn't go very well. Paul sent him to help correct some problems. And there was a lot of bitter, anger, resentment that came up against him. And he went back to Paul and said, I can't do it, to the apostle. And Paul went in and he went back frustrated. He wrote letters and it was kind of a tough deal. So it, things don't always work out the way we want. It's kind of the thought that I can, I can gain from that. It's not always easy. Um, but he was respected enough to be sent as a personal representative by the apostle. He received two personal letters from Paul that became the word of God, and he was mentored by Paul. His weaknesses, though, almost show more strength because he had to trust in the Lord through this. And sometimes if we give our weaknesses to the Lord, that he can be strong on our behalf, that's where we find true strength. So these attributes almost become less and the weaknesses become greater. Timothy was a a timid person, apparently. And I can relate a bit to that. Uh, Paul steered him away from being timid in 2 Timothy unto power, love, and self-control. It's written, I'm going to go ahead and turn to it. I was going to try to bypass some of the scripture, but 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Timothy needed to be reminded of that. And you know, I do too sometimes, to be reminded of that. The spirit of God is not a spirit of fear or to be timid even though that was his natural state. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians before he sent Timothy to him, he says, put Timothy's mind at ease. And when he comes to you, that he may be there without fear. Why? Because he knew Timothy had this problem. He was timid. He worked out the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace. We think of the different giftings people have. Was the apostle Paul timid like Timothy was? No, no, he wasn't. I thought about the timeline in which they fell, or were called in, not fell, but were called into the church body. At the time, at the instigating of all the churches, they needed a bold person, right? To to suffer scourging, 40 stripes, save one, shipwreck, all this stuff multiple times over and over. They needed a bold person. Jesus called Paul for that purpose. Peter was kind of tough, too. Some of those instigators of of the church. And then when the church bodies are established and growing together possible that they needed a Timothy. And my mind just kind of went with that and how, how God calls people as he sees fit for the church body and for its work. And if we believe that, we can believe that's still taking place today. So don't feel like you don't have anything to offer or you're just kind of here. I have to admit with my grand girl the other day, I got out after something snapped the other, after several other times and I got out and thought, I don't even know if I care anymore. Well, I do. But, but don't get there spiritually. We can. 
we can. We can say, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired, I don't know if I care anymore. We better sit down and care. <clears throat> False of Timothy also, he would allow others to look down on his youthfulness. Paul encourages Timothy in his first letter to him. and says, let no man despise thy youth. And this carries forward to all youth. And they all, we all have spiritual gifts that are different. Some are bolder than others. That even comes out in our youth, I think. Some are not timid. Some are, are leaders, and it kind of shows up. But it does carry forward to all youth. Let no man despise thy youth. And how do, we, how do you combat that as youth? Same as all of us do. Later in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, Be an example. Be thou an example in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, purity. Is our youth the church of tomorrow or the church of today? That question is brought up a lot. It's both, if we really think about it. They're here today, but yet there's also learning from the wisdom of others that's necessary. Timothy needed Paul, and Paul needed this servant to come by him after he was struck down by the bright light and seated in this road called straight. Someone had to come along and explain the way. It's both. We need the zeal of the youth, yet we also don't need to kick it into neutral for older and say, young people got it now. No, that's dangerous. That's dangerous ground. We need the wisdom. The Bible speaks a lot of that, needing to, to learn from the wisdom of older men and women in the faith. It's necessary. Both today and tomorrow. I have to turn to this. There's also a keynote here to despise. First Timothy 4.12. Bear with me a little bit here. Yes, let no man despise that youth. Let no man despise that youth. That is to show contempt for or to scorn it. Your youth is valuable. Your years of youth are valuable. Don't live in a way that you look back and regret. You don't have to. People that are born in homes that, that don't have the knowledge of truth, sometimes that, that just happens and they can correct it later. But you've got a great potential ahead of you, each one of you, with the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. Live for that. Expend yourselves for that. Now, Timothy was unable to correct some of the, the deep problems at Corinth, although the blame's probably on Corinth, not on Timothy so much. This is the same Timothy that will naturally care for your state. He cared for the state in Philippi and cared for the state in Corinth. And Corinth probably got corrected at some point, but there's times where as Timothy was expending himself and felt like he, did, he wasn't really getting anywhere with the, the deep problems at Corinth, deeper than anything we know here, I believe. Don't always get the way that you want to see develop for the cause of Christ, but he stayed the course. His youthfulness was not an excuse for being ineffective. His involvement was beneficial. His youthfulness was not in the way. And his inadequacies and his inabilities, just as we have them too, they shouldn't keep us from being used by God. Oftentimes our weaknesses are a place for God to show his greatest strength. We'll move on to Epaphroditus that's spoken of in, in Philippians here. Now I've got to get back to where I was. That's what happens when you jump around. <clears throat> Philippians 2. I'll start at verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion, in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, that he ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because he had 
he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, ye may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Epaphroditus, situation involving Epaphroditus, he was sent by the Philippian church to Paul to encourage him, to build him up, and he was sent with probably a monetary gift, financial aid for the church that was needed. Paul was wanting for the benefit of the church, not personally, but for the benefit of the church, there was a need. Philippi sent Epaphroditus with this to Paul in prison to encourage him, and he got sick on the way. I don't make Paul out to be a liar or one that stretches the truth. He said he was nigh unto death. I believe that means he was nigh unto death. And Paul thought he's probably going to die. What an encouragement, huh? The letter comes from Philippi. Hey, how's Epaphroditus? We sent him to lift your spirits. Well, he's dead. It's not much of an encouragement, is it? God intervened on this to some degree. The Bible doesn't say a miracle, but merciful. God was merciful and Epaphroditus' health was restored. And he rejoiced in that. Not only for Epaphroditus, but this big heaviness was kept from them too. Because it would have been heavy on Philippi if that would have happened. It would have been heavy for Paul that here Epaphroditus made this journey, he got sick on the way, and he perished, and it's a bad, bad thing. God showed his mercy physically in this, in this way. And Epaphroditus probably carried this letter back to Philippi. Think about that. He carried the word of God. What became Bible, he carried in his parchment with him on the road. Isn't that something? Do we carry the word with us with value in such a way? Epaphroditus had the opportunity to carry the word of God. He was a little bit upset because he was sent to attend for Paul, and here Paul had to attend for him because he was sick. But there's three things that stand out in verse 25. Epaphroditus is called a brother a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. A brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. Here's, I read through this earlier and thought there's just a couple guys do this and do that. There's not much there. Quite a bit there, isn't there? If we think about being a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier for those in the body of Christ and how much we need that, sometimes we can't fight the battles ourselves, can we? Sometimes we need a fellow soldier with us, a brother to share with, a relationship. A brother invokes a relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters of the king, we are. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a relationship. In fact, John, in 1 John, it's written that Christians are those who have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. There's a verse in 1 John that says that. We're passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That's how we know there's, there's true spiritual life, if there's a love for, for the brethren. That was shared emphatically this morning. If you caught a brother share that he was a murderer and cheated on his wife and all these bad things, and our mind might go to the extreme, but the Bible says hatred in the heart is the same as murder to him. That's the point that's trying to be made there, I believe. And that's overcome by the blood of Christ. To gain a brother in deed and in truth. That was shared this morning as well, in deed and in truth. Matthew 10, 8 says, Freely you have received, now freely give. Rejoice together and weep together. Another thought that came to me in, in the thought of having a brother in Christ is that iron sharpeneth iron. Sometimes we need to be sharpened. Iron sharpeneth iron. Epaphroditus is called a fellow worker. First Corinthians, it talks, Paul talks about some water, some plant. God gives the increased. 
How do we plant seeds and how do we water them? The words we say and the actions which we do. Proverbs 18 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death can be there, but life is too. The gospel of Christ can pass on from the power of the tongue. Life is in the tongue. A fellow worker for Christ. We may not see the results for a long time after we plant and water. Do we trust the work to the Lord and not seek the glory for ourselves? That's been challenged to us once on the mission field that we want to see the results. We want to plant seeds and then see a 12-foot tall corn plant right here the next day. doesn't happen like that, does it? doesn't happen that way for you or me. That's not the path. There's growth that takes place in between. But plant and water anyway and trust in God to give the increase. Be a fellow worker for Christ as Epaphroditus was. Foundation is laid in Christ. It's not Epaphroditus' work or your work. Later on in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the foundation being laid in Christ. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble upon them. That's the things of our life. And what's the difference in all those three things? The similarity is they'll all be revealed by fire. Some things are valuable and some things are flammable. In our life spiritually, it's, it's that way. There's things that are valuable and the things are just going to burn up. And there's a necessary element to our life, and especially as fathers, to provide for our young, for our family, physically. But, but realize the value of things that are valuable and that will stand eternally. And, and take note of that and apply our hearts toward that. He was a fellow soldier as well. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Let's turn there real quick. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. <clears throat> Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the what? In the grace. Not ourself. Not our own gifts. Not our own talents. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in that. We think of grace as stabilizing us, as, as saving us. It's a place of strength, too, that we can be strong in. And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who also shall be able to teach others also, the thought of discipleship, someone shared the, the teaching of discipleship, it's not complete until we see those whom we have discipled teaching someone else and it carrying forward on down the line. That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's heart here. That he realized that the instruction needs to carry forward of, of how to care and how to, how to live the life for Christ for the building up and the edification of churches. Strength and the grace, that's where we find strength as a soldier. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. In World War II, Ford kind of shut down a little bit. I believe that's correct. They quit making civilian vehicles, maybe a few, but they concentrated on tanks and armory artillery. Why? Because there was a war going on. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. We live out the affairs of this life, but not become entangled with them. Focus on what needs to be focused on. Strong in the grace of our Lord. Would a trim carpenter, you asked, I guess George's not in here right now. There he is at the back. Would a trim carpenter leave 
the front lines of a battle of a war to go home and finish the trim on a house several thousand miles away because it needed done? Probably not. If you're in a war, you're in a war, correct? If we're in spiritual warfare, let's live that out. Be a fellow soldier for Christ. Focus on things that need focused on. As we shared this morning, that's easy to say and harder to do. Like-minded. Timothy in verse 20. Like-minded. That thought came to me as well. There's a difference in being like-minded and being alike-minded. Wouldn't it be nice to be in a church where everybody was just like me? Maybe, but not really. It would either be fireworks all the time or it would be boring, one of the two. But to be like-minded for Christ and understand our differences and our need of the differences and our need of them to come, come out in a spiritual way for the body of Christ. The difference in being like-minded and alike. Not regarding his life, Epaphroditus was willing to put the work of Christ first. He was nigh unto death here. He really got sick. And I don't know if it's something that he dealt with in his life and the travel was hard for him and he knew it ahead of time or if it just happened. I don't know, but he did not regard his life. The early church, there was a group called themselves the gamblers. And that's because they would simply <coughs> gamble with their life, they, they claimed. And they did it for the glory of God. It was an association who had aimed and purposed to visit the sick, the very sick. As in, if a plague breaks out, and the heathen were throwing the bodies in the, in the street and running and, and not comforting the sick, they would go in and comfort the sick. And probably a lot of them died because of that. They probably got the sickness themselves and died. But they purposed to be the ones that would be there for grieving families when there was quarantine, when there was that kind of thing going on. It, it, it struck me as I read through notes of that. They called themselves the gamblers. They didn't care for their own life as much as the cause of the kingdom. I'm guessing they, they did it because nigh unto death as others were, they probably saw people around them dying without Christ. And that was probably their motivation. Not self-glory. Not that, look, I, I went ahead and did this and I might die doing it. I think they really had a genuine care for the, for the salvation of souls. And if there were people around them that were dying without Jesus, it tore them up. I believe that's why. Some think Epaphroditus' sickness was, was from overexertion. Again, pause and think. I can, I can run something until the wheels come off of it myself. That's a fault that I have. And I think maybe I've been doing that a little bit. Just personally, my, myself was too involved. We can do that. Overexert ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Take time to, to rest in Him. Service gets marred by that. But we think of the life of Epaphroditus, and I'll bring in a, this has been two men, so I'll bring in a woman now, to be fair. Epaphroditus expending himself, Timothy and his example. This is where the myrtle tree and the star comes in. There's a little girl born as an orphan. Not born as an orphan, but became an orphan in Israel. The Bible tells us about her life. Her name was Hadassah, which meant myrtle, a myrtle tree. A myrtle tree grows in a high place. We think in farming, rocky top ground is usually not very good, thin topsoil, but myrtle trees could grow there. And they're high, elevated, they do well there. And Hadassah, this little orphan girl, was named that and became that, and she became the queen, Queen Esther. Her name was changed to a pagan name, Esther. Does anyone know what Esther means? Star. From a myrtle tree to a star, this woman was called to be. How did she become a star? What does a star do? 
It burns. It burns on and on. It expends itself burning. She was called to give of herself, just as Epaphroditus did here. Nine to death, Esther had a choice. She could have kept her lips shut, been quiet, stayed a queen, watched all the Jews die, and still been a queen. Married to the king and lived out the rest of her life. But she didn't. It was possible, very likely death, for her to go before the king, as she did, unless his merciful scepter was, was extended to her. And her choice was to go before the king, to give of herself. And she went from a myrtle tree, which exists under the heavens, to the star, which is from the heavens. Our strength needs to come from the heaven to take that same approach to our Christian life, to expend of ourselves, to give all. If it be our life, be our life, as Esther did. That's a challenge. That's a deep challenge. She didn't regard her life. And her story is told for generations and generations, and the Jewish population in that land was saved because of those actions. Are there those around about us that are destined for death that can be saved? If we expend of ourselves, burn of ourselves as a star. So what is your state? What is our state? Do we care for the state of others, not just our own? Are we willing to be a fellow soldier, a fellow laborer, and a brother in Christ? God has a purpose for all. Don't think otherwise. Timothy had some inadequacies. Epaphroditus, I'm sure, did too. God used them for his glory. You know what Epaphroditus means, the name? Not to get in on the meaning of names here. Something like belonging to Aphrodite or Venus. That was his birth name, Epaphroditus. He was born in a pagan home. Does pedigree matter? Does our genealogy matter? We're going to get into that in the third chapter. It might not be until January now, I'm not sure, but Paul talks about that. All the pedigree that he had, and he said, nothing but Christ. Epaphroditus and Timothy, neither one had pedigree, and Paul wasn't looking for that. And the Spirit of Christ doesn't look for that. He looks for a willing heart. Now I drop my notes. But take that to heart. I'll close with 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. That means you. That means a brother and a sister beside you.